Old McToshi had a startup, E-I-E-I-O. And for that startup, he needed cash, E-I-E-I-O. With a crowdfund here and a crowdfund there, here a block, there a chain, everywhere a blockchain, Old McToshi needed cash. But how to raise, you know? Well, in the past, we've discussed ICOs and STOs, but today we enter the realm of the IEO, the Initial Exchange Offering, and we're joined by Lionel Irek, Managing Partner at Empire Global Partners, to help make sense of this latest form of crypto crowdfunding. Remember, it's A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y, as we've got all the vowels on board for episode number 277 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious and all the peoples, no matter where you are on the spectrum, that dig blockchain, crypto, the future of digital money, because it's coming your way, like it or not. I'm Joel Kahn, and not with us, at least for this part of the show, is Mr. Travis Wright. He's he's on for the interview because we conducted that previously. But as I record this, Travis is in a vehicle en route from Illinois to Missouri. He went to see Sir Paul McCartney and said it was maybe the best concert of his life. Thirty three songs. And he is riding high on that Beatles vibe. So anyway, just me for this portion. And I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Blue Share, blueshare.io. Hopefully by now you've checked out the website. Their security tokens are the BSTs. So now we got some consonants, right? We did the vowels. Now we got some consonants. And these guys have a construction business and a mining and exploration project business. And they claim to be the first one of their kind to offer shares of their security using Ethereum smart contracts. So they've secured mining concessions with a forecasted worth of 4.3 billion US dollars. And that includes construction aggregates, gold, silver, copper, zinc, and they've got 300 million tokenized underlying equity capital shares of their Swiss-based Interprom Mining AG. 80 million of those blue shares are available for qualified investors, and they the sale started May 6th. It's still happening now. Go check them out, blueshare.io. Do your own due diligence, learn about it, and see if it's a fit for you. Alrighty. Well, we've got a great interview today with Lionel Eric Esquire. Yes, and we have some law jokes, some lawyer jokes in there as well, courtesy of myself. So let's go ahead and learn all about IEOs. Once upon a time, there was the IPO, the initial public offering that companies use to bring their company public on the stock exchange. And then along comes crypto, and we have the ICO, the initial coin offering. Well, that was an interesting time in history. Today, fast forward to mid-2019, we now have the IEO, the initial exchange offering. And we're going to learn all about what those IEOs are today, and also discover why A and U, uh, those those uh, vowels are neglected in this uh, particular acronym. As we speak with Lionel Eric Esquire, that means he's one of those legal people. 
He's uh, He's been involved in alternative financial instruments, which are cryptos, of course, ICOs, exchange offerings, and represents some of the largest names in the crypto space since 2011. He's the managing partner at Empire Global Partners, and he is here today to talk all things IEO. Leo, because that's what your friends call you. Welcome to Bad Crypto. Hey, how's it going, guys? And and a correction: as a lawyer, you have no friends; you just have future clients, right? That's that's all. You <laughs> if you say so, good sir. <laughs> uh, I, I want to agree with you because I don't want you to sue me for anything. Lawsuits in the works right now. It's in the works. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I always thought the world needs more attorneys. Yes, me too. Me too. That and, uh, <laughs> and like rectal cancer, one of the two. All right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly you're bad and you're in the right place and we're going to have a uh, fun conversation. Uh, why don't you fill in the, some of the gaps there on your history a little bit so people know where you're coming from and your expertise in this area? Yeah. So I'm one of those weird, strange lawyers that made the that made the lateral from alternative finance in ga- gambling. And we lateraled into crypto, but all way before there was ever a thing called crypto. So this was back in 2007 when there were these uh, little alternative financial instruments called like Perfect Money, Liberty Reserve, E-Gold, and these types of things, right? Um, we used to have clients that were basically creating these assets over periods of time in different parts of the world and the unique and complex structures to do that. So as a result, we started cutting our teeth with developing these types of uh, structures. And naturally, one day, one of our clients, uh, I'll leave their name out for the sake of embarrassing them. I'm just joking. Uh, came to us and said, hey, we're, we're you know, there were a casino and they said, hey, we would like to adopt this cryptocurrency, this currency, this alternative financial instrument called Bitcoin. Uh, would you all be willing to accept Bitcoin as a payment? And we would also like to accept Bitcoin as a payment on our casino. And we were thinking, okay, well, maybe it's just one of those, another, another of those kind of like centralized, I mean, today we call it a stable coin, but a centralized digital currency online. And then, um, we learned about the architecture. We said, oh, this is extremely unique. It's a decentralized version of all the stuff that we've been working on in the past with these centralized digital assets that were, there was no blockchain. These were just, you know, ledgers and people giving money in exchange for digital a digital asset. And then we, more and more we learned about the asset. We said, oh, this is actually probably a store of value and can, you know, it can ride, a ra- it can ride rails that the other ones couldn't. So we started getting more and more vested in the architecture from a legal standpoint. So we started building infrastructures for our clients. That later led to clients wanting to create their own com- 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 you know, competitive versions of Bitcoin, quote unquote. This is back in 2012 or, or so when there was you know, just Litecoin and Bitcoin and maybe one other at the time. Um, we, then, we then spearheaded a whole portion of our practice that did nothing but adopt uh, cryptocurrency regu- regulations, basically the railroad tracks for companies that had no idea how to stay compliant. We just, we cut our teeth in the in the wild west of uh, centralized digital currency. So why not use some of the skills that we knew from that world and put them into into the centralized side? So we start creating frameworks. Some of the things that you guys now call ICOs. These were things we were creating back in twelve. Uh, of course, ICOs exploded. A lot of that architecture and framework uh, that's being used today was a lot of that was brainchilded by our firm. And uh, since that time, we've you know been representing some of the biggest names in crypto. Not, I don't think is as a result of us being particularly great, but it was just the fact that we were just, you know, you showed up. You know, half the battle of success is just showing up, and we. we you're you're okay off. though. You're you're all right. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was okay. So, you got there early. Yeah, you guys got there early. A bit early. A you bit. You early. guys are OG. <laughs> 
Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. That's as OG as you can get getting wait, in there like 2010, 2011. Wait, by OG. Do even at 2007, actually. Wait, so getting in before. By OG, do you there mean, was even. Do you mean Satoshi? Are you Satoshi? I am Satoshi. You figured it out. You figured oh, it man. Out. This is so great. And that was exciting to have, that, have you on the show. That was the big reveal. <laughs> Like, no. Oh man! <laughs> okay. So so now now the whole space has evolved. We went through the ICOs, which you guys helped sort of create way back in the day, and now we are to the EIOs, which I think Old McDonald created way back in the day. <laughs> the EIOs, yes. and um, it's very exciting to do those. So those are these initial exchange offerings, and this is initial exchange offerings one hundred and one. The episode. All right, and. Uh, the, the musical. This is a musical, actually, Leo. So if you could sing us sing this and sing song, that would be great. Uh, what, <laughs> what is an IEO and how does it work? Okay, so an IEO is simply a let's just call it a, a it's a centralized ICO for the most part. It's basically a take everything you learned about in the initial coin offering world, which is just you know a company an issuer decided that hey we're going to go ahead and pre-sell some tokens or an architecture. Uh, in advance of the public in an effort to not only decentralize the asset, but also fundraise. So serve that to serve that dual purpose. Uh, this was, of course, done on private websites. This was also done with private KYC using third party companies, so on and so forth. People who wanted to participate basically had to just take the word, take the word of uh, the issuers and say, hey, the white paper looks clean. The team looks great. Their LinkedIn pages look amazing. So I'm going to go ahead and give them some of my hard-fought ETH or Bitcoin or whatever they're accepting in exchange for their tokens in advance. Long story short, everyone pretty much who's on this, uh, who, who listens to this show, pretty much knows what ended up happening. The first comers did very well. The middle comers did pretty good. Then the late comer, the ocean of ICO started, and that led to a lot of, let's just call it crap and scams. Uh, that basically brought that entire market down in and on itself. So exchanges, uh, ironically, which, you know, ironically saw that this trend was something that if they, as the gatekeepers for liquidity and trading, decided that they would be the arbiters of what was a non-scammy, quote unquote, or a valuable project with with good legs, good teams, good metrics, et cetera, if they housed that project, right, on their exchanges and allowed their hard-fought clients to participate within a reasonable, you know, a reasonable manner, you know, decent KYC, not too many, not, 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 not a massive amount of uh, allocation for like, you know, in other words, they, they like to prevent whales from jumping in. So smaller participation caps, um, you know, you can only like give out $500 to jump into, to these projects and also take out some of the guessing as to whether or not this project has legs. The exchanges realized that if they just controlled quality, they technically could have a, a very good use case, not only for both their exchange, but also any underlying uh, token that was part of that exchange. So as a result, the exchanges took over the ICO game. And there you have it. You, you've started, basically, you, you birthed IEOs as a result. Maybe give us a couple examples of IEOs that have been super successful, you know, what companies, and so we get an idea of what we're talking about here. Okay, so an example of uh, there were some really, really successful ones here in 2019 alone. A lot of people know about BitTorrent, and uh, they actually were raised on Binance Launchpad, which is just one of many IEO platforms. Uh, they raised, sold out too in like in like just minutes or like less than a minute or something just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, quick. it was like it's anywhere between ten seconds and a minute, and it and it raised a seven point two million dollars. It hit their hard cap instantly. 
Uh, another it was crazy. I was like, I. And the thing is, that was so stealth. Like we didn't even hear about it. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, we want to do. Oh, I love BitTorrent. I've been using BitTorrent for years. I would totally invest. And, and no, gone. and it's gone. And it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like best of luck. Um, ten seconds. Uh, Are you serious? Seven million dollars in ten seconds. That's yeah, crazy. Exactly. I mean, that's that. That's just you can't get any better than that. Uh, next nine was, seconds. No, at least you could. You could. You're right. I stand corrected. <laughs> I fully apologize. Sorry about that. Um, the, another idea that was very successful uh, was uh, one called Fetch AI. Uh, Fetch AI was it was another. It was also a Binance Launchpad IEO. It did very well as well, and it raised uh, about six million dollars uh, pretty much right away as well. I think it was under a minute or two. It was extremely quick. Uh, for the most part, almost all of the Binance Launchpad IEOs have been sellouts very quickly. In fact, they've gotten so successful. Even the one, even the most recent one, Harmony, uh, they've gotten so successful that Binance has implemented a lottery system as to who can who can uh, jump in based on how many BNB tokens you hold during a specific period. If you have oh. so many BNB tokens, you get lottery tickets. These lottery tickets allow you the chance to maybe participate. It's a lottery ticket to maybe participate, right? So. Because there was a lot of people who were manipulating the system, using bots to participate in multiple accounts. There was a variety of things that were keeping people out. Plus, there was also issues with the actual platform, and people were getting locked out and uh, unable to participate as much as they wanted to. So these are these are just some examples of really successful IEOs. Keep in mind, not all exchanges are equal, right? Uh, there have been situations where some IEOs don't sell out. Not just because it's an IEO in and of itself doesn't make it sell out if it's on random exchange X. Uh, the, the, the type of the, the exchange's reputation really affects the buying power and the, and the reputation management of the people on the exchange. So if Binance or Bittrex or even let's say someone, a newcomer like, um, like uh, OKEX, Qcoin, or maybe even in the future, something like HitBTC does an IEO, uh, most likely the users will be very, very uh, receptive to it and jump in extremely quickly. But for smaller exchanges, you really need to supplement your IEOs to get more, to, to actually have to do some outside marketing to even get that same level of attention. Yeah, we set up our bad, our bad X, mm-hmm. our bad, bad X.io, which is not a real site. But uh, yeah, come to your IEO there at the, at the really pathetic exchange where there's no liquidity or volume. That sounds like a great I idea. I thought it was a bad X. IEO bad X. Oh, I heard bad. you wrong. <laughs> yeah, bad X. It's our bad exchange. That's what we would call it, probably, right? Anything that starts with the word bad X, like ex girlfriend, <laughs> it's not going to do that good, right? So that's so true. Bad ex girlfriend. Those are crazy. You don't want those. That's just a lunatic. Yeah, no, my ex isn't bad. She's okay. <laughs> She's fine. That's, yeah, I, yeah, but that's I, I suppose good. some people have a bad X, and um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. where the stories come from. Anyhow, so. You know, let, let's talk from a legal perspective. How you know how your team uh, sees the the market right now, and what's the future of IEOs? Got it. So from our, from our perspective, uh, you know, naturally, since uh, the IEO, let's just call it the IEO uh, boom began, um, because we represented you know hundreds of companies during the ICO period, uh, a lot we see a lot of companies having interest. In doing the IEO side, because the fact that you know it's a, it's a viable way of raising decent funds if you if you if you qualify with a great exchange partner. From the legal perspective, the number one thing that we that we see uh, is that you still must maintain 
a strong use case or quote unquote a utility for whatever token you are deploying during an IEO. IEOs are not for security tokens. They're not for people who are doing profit sharing programs. We're not talking about we're not talking about like CPU staking or stuff like that. We're just literally talking about profit sharing programs. It's not built for people who are doing any kind of share structure, dividend structure, anything like that. It's still a utility. It's a, still a utility token, um, you know, loyalty coin, ro- rewards coin type of game. Uh, it's not for any. What about a mining coin? Probably not with a mining coin either, huh? A mining coin technically could IEO. There would be no problem with with that. But one thing that's unique about the IEOs is that the exchange partners typically have a stringent set of token dynamic requirements. Uh, best practices are things like this. Uh, for a period of time, the circulating supply of the tokens cannot exceed 20% on average. Sometimes some exchanges go up to as far as 30%. The circulating supply, that includes everything you've already pre-sold, everything you've already given to your team, and everything that you're about to sell in the IEO, right? And then there's basically a period of time where your circulating supply cannot exceed that 20 to 30% window. They want to they maintain a certain amount of, let's just call it uh, token scarcity onto the market. So that way they can avoid what was happening during the ICO game, which is when you know token, co- companies would sell tons of tokens to everybody, everyone would dump at the same time and cause massive swings in, vol- in volatile, in massive swings in the value of the token or massive swings in pricing. Uh, and the, the exchanges aren't necessarily, as, as much as they like volatility, they probably prefer to protect their hard-fought exchange clients over gaining that short-term volatility that they would get, get in exchange fees. So they don't want a bunch of people to be holding the bag on their exchange because guess what? When you do another IEO on that exchange, clients have a very long memory. They'll say, didn't you just screw us two weeks ago? Why would we be, you know, what are we doing here? We're not, we're not interested in this again. So they, they maintain a very strong uh, thresholds such as the circulating supply, such as um, uh, there's a bunch of other dynamics. Like, you know, you must typically have an MVP ready, a minimum viable product, uh, if your team says you're good at something or you've got yourself a great CV, some exchanges, Binance, I'm looking at you, uh, they do really good jobs scrutinizing as to whether or not the things that you say that you did in your LinkedIn page or your or your, or your white paper, you actually did them. They'll, they'll cross check and do, it's basically like a job application. They want to double check your references and double check you did things uh, because the exchanges are actually taking uh, a, quite a bit of risk for every IEO that they do. Right, they're basically getting in. They're marrying these IOs uh, for a period of time, and of course, letting them go um, Vegas style, I guess. So, so tell us a little bit more about, I guess, about Empire because Empire's been doing some pretty cool stuff for the longest time. You guys really sort of, you know, helped innovate this space in, in a lot of ways. Like, what are some of the the, the key highlights that uh, that Empire's been part of? Oof. Uh, well, I guess we'll just keep the more recent stuff. Uh, we've been helping of course we've been helping out with the with the actual ico framework and now that's being roped into the io framework uh we've been central in in the deployment of certain government regulations and allowing certain 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 quote-unquote utility token rules to come to come to pass in certain jurisdictions that will not be mentioned on the call but uh you know we're basically in the background helping uh political Political as well as private companies stay in compliance with uh, with not only their goals and objectives when they want to deploy blockchain, but seeing how they can not only stay compliant but also meet their financial objectives with whatever this blockchain project might be. I guess a cool thing is that maybe our clients represent about four billion dollars in market cap uh, on average, give or take, on a given day. 
So that's pretty cool. So you can actually say, hey, those are our kids. They grow, they grow up so fast. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, billions. So, yeah, billions. I wish, I wish they could give us some of those billions, but, you know, they're kids. You know, They forget about you. They don't call you on weekends. You look at your phone. Are they going to call? Are they going to call? Are they gonna... <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're, they never call. Damn they it. Get... Wait, I'm going to call my, I'm gonna call my so, kids but, right but now no. just because that's pissing me off. <laughs> exactly dad never call me again never call me again but uh no but uh we've we've we really like what we do we really enjoy uh representing clients both in the ico the ieo the blockchain space in general is the funnest space for us we really really appreciate people coming with innovative ideas in an industry that we actually want to see flourish it's not an industry that is you know it's an industry where everyone's well not everyone but most people who we deal with, their heart is in the right direction. And they're actually providing a general, a, ge- a general sense of. A ge- they're actually providing something of value to the entire to the entire economy, whether it be financial services or whether it be whatever industry they're trying to disrupt. And we like that, so we consider ourselves like a disruptive type of law firm. So we like we love that we love representing our people, so to speak. So let's say we want to start an ieo what is the process for making it happen okay so the first thing you need to do first is be alive no zombies no corpses none of that stuff very discriminatory against the dead but let's just maybe maybe you should leave the joke stuff leo i don't know this is you're <laughs> Joel, Joel doesn't want you when you. Well, you I just, you know, he's a lawyer. The dad. jokes are about you. They're not like you can't make them <laughs> from you. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. All right. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that you have a solid business model. That's the number one thing. You've got to make sure that from the outside looking in, it's it, it, that someone understands this perfect stranger within. One to two hours could review your business, your website, your white paper, everything within two or three hours and say, that's a project that looks like we want to be involved in and we want to get we want to get more information about. Because you're technically selling in exchange on investing in you, because the exchanges carry a heavy burden on the marketing side to make sure that your IEO is front and center. They they spend all their resources, all their network resources to typically get these things out in front. So a solid business model or or at least ideally a solid product with a good market fit these types of things are the number are the first thing you need to look at the next thing you need to look at would be let's just double check that you actually have something do you have an mvp do you have existing customers if you don't have those do does anyone on your team have a track record for building things that do that have done very well in the past so if you don't have an mvp does your team have that level of background that could create an MVP without you know trying? Have you been on a previous project, whether it be blockchain or not blockchain? Have you brought products to market? And if your development is underway, how far underway are you? You know, these are things that people will want to check. Um, one thing that that a lot of clients that come to us struggle with is the token economics. That's the that's one of the biggest things that keep you from getting qualified for an IEO. Well, the number one and number two is your Legal, making sure you're legally compliant. That's number one. Number two is that your token economy is just destroyed. Uh, if you've, you know, you don't, you can't meet cir- circulating supplies. Your price points just are out of whack. You've already sold at a very high price point that the that the exchanges won't take that risk, and it was someone's going to dump on the exchange. Uh, getting those token economics in line with best practices, and you know, this obviously best practices. We can discuss that 
later. But uh, getting that in line with what exchanges are looking for is that's the super highlight uh, for making sure that you actually get approved for an IEO. Uh, one other thing that should be obvious, but having an, an active community or access to an active community. So let's say you're a new, new kid on the street. You basically have a great project. You have an active community. It's maybe, you know, two or 3,000 people, maybe even less, but you but you have a, a great strategic partner in a huge multinational, huge conglomerate that has millions of active users who are partners with you. So as a result, you could potentially have that partner market with you when your IEO kicks off. That's a great, great, great thing for the exchanges because they don't want to do all the lifting for the, for the uh, advertising. They want you to be able to at least leverage your existing community because you're bringing new people to their platform, new users, new signups, new people who've always been following your project and now can actually participate in a token purchasing event. So having a large and active community definitely puts you very high up on the list. So if you haven't, if you have a great community, but have you never, you know, sold tokens in the past or whatnot, that's the perfect project for them. And what large and active may mean, that's that's relative to the actual project. But let's just say uh, if you're looking at, be- if you're having anywhere between, you know, 10,000 and 30,000 users in your community, that's considered, you know, top, top, top premium type of project that I, that, uh, that exchange to be looking to, uh, to partner with. Great team. Make sure you have a great team. We tend to tell clients don't have so many advisors, have more core members. It's better you have core members with a great CV than 50,000 advisors who don't even know what projects they're on. Because some of these exchanges will contact every single team member in your group and verify they work for that project. They'll also contact every single advisor and they potentially also ask them, what have you done for this project and what will you do post-IEO? Which is completely different than what would have happened in the ICO portion. Because advisors could just, be, could just look good and know they may never have to do anything. In the IEO side, an exchange might call you during the due diligence process and say, okay, we see your advisor for this process. What will you be doing and what have you done? And if, and if the answer sounds wishy-washy, that, could, that, could, that goes against the quote-unquote rubric or the scoring system internally for the exchanges as to whether or not to choose to list you. And as we talked earlier, you know, don't be a security token. Be a utility of some type. Uh, you know, have, great, have great legal consultants. Have great surround, surround yourself with lawyers like your Scarface uh, because uh, that's going to be the one thing that can come to bite you. And different exchanges have different parameters. Most exchanges set, center their legal opinions on U.S. law because, of course, aggressive SECs are arresting you people around the world. Uh, but some exchanges, uh, they, they want to be compliant with Singaporean law. Some want to be compliant with Maltese law. But if it's not between Malta, United States, or Singapore, uh, and you have you have maybe a legal opinion from some other country. We recommend you get an opinion from one of those bigger jurisdictions, uh, because the fact that you know this is just how exchanges are. They they like to know that they're covered in the biggest, let's just call it litigious markets for securities violations in the world. So I have a question. I have a question for you, Leo. So around the SEC, right? The SEC views pretty much everything as a security, right? I mean, as if, as long as it's not like a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum type of stuff, they view everything else pretty much as a security. So how are you know law firms such as yourself looking at these projects to define them strictly as a utility token? Well, ironically, uh, the SEC actually 
there's a little color to it. They don't actually look at everything as a security. There's a little bit of miscommunication there. What they've stated is that they haven't seen anything that matches up with a, a utility at, at, at the time that that's so like a unicorn or Bigfoot. They just hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, they had they hadn't seen it yet. But even now, fast forward two years later, since that March uh, that March statement of uh, about a year and a half ago or so, um, they're stating now that there are tokens that at some point in time can convert from being a security into a utility, which is a very unique way of doing things because you know I'm trained as security as a securities lawyer, and I've never heard of a security that ne- that could one day not become a security. But in but the SEC has been pretty clear that there are tokens that can change characteristics and properties that would fail to meet the a security analysis uh, down the road. Of course, the most famous example would be Bitcoin. Secondarily, would be Ethereum, and now they've stated just just at the conference recently, just last week, uh, that there are other tokens that might be uh, maybe able to to get no action letters as a result of having been you know more decentralized or be properly have been properly distributed over periods of time that they no longer you know have a secure no longer fall within the means of a security because they have existing use cases products that are already out. So the U, so the SEC is not a very black and white, you know, this is a security because it's an ICO. They're more saying it's more likely than not, if you're starting from a centralized point of sale, that it's more than likely going to be a security. But the good part about IEOs is that the majority, I'd say 99% of all of the jurisdictions and the exchanges that we deal with to, to deploy IEOs on, none of them, I'd say none of them will allow US participation anyway. But, but the exchanges want to still be in compliance with the United States in case somebody from the U.S. gets on anyway. So it's like just double coverage. Hey, we're blocking U.S. people, but if somebody from the U.S. did sneak in, we're still going to want that U.S. opinion for double coverage because we as the exchange are running this IEO, not this private company, right? So they're just, it's, just, it's just insurance policy for the exchange more than it is a method of, okay, well, US, this U.S. lawyer said it's not a security we're going to take his 100% of his word for it and leverage our billion dollar exchange on this on this memo here. No, they're just going to they have it as a backup to say, "Hey, in case a US person did participate and we get tagged by, you know, you know, the SEC, we can say, well, based on our opinion that we received on this project, uh, it wasn't it wasn't it was not a a a security by our standards." And then the SEC and that exchange could have out could have it out, but you know, that would be that'd be a complicated matter anyway. Yeah. Hey, Travis, what's the difference between an accountant and a lawyer? What is that, Mr. Jolcom? Well, accountants know that they're boring. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There's more here. What's uh, what's the difference between a lawyer and a trampoline? Uh, you take off your shoes before you jump on a trampoline. <laughs> Oh, there's so many lawyer jokes right here. Now, this is actually really important stuff, and uh, and we appreciate you sharing this with us today. So let's let's talk a little bit about how much uh, it takes, you know, financially. Like, how much should somebody expect to spend if they want to do an IEO, and what is it? How is that correlated to the raise? Okay, so what I can say is this, and this is this is obviously important for a lot of a lot of reasons because you know. A lot of companies have money, but they don't know if they have enough. So the rule of thumb in terms of what you can expect to to spend in an IEO would be something like, let's just say, uh, like it's better, it's better to put it this way. 
the average expense for an IEO, the average budget for an IEO as of today is between 10 and 25 BTC as a listing fee. That's, that range is pretty huge because it varies based on the exchange. And we're under NDA with many exchanges to discuss rates and stuff. So we can't exactly say this one charges this, but this one charges that. We would say this, if you did have an interest of doing an IEO, we'd say start today at a minimum and aggregate at least 10 BTC. At a minimum, just hold 10 BTC and just keep it. Get it as cheap as you can get it, get it wherever you can get it, but get it today. Because if Bitcoin goes up, that fee is significantly higher than when it, if it's going, if the Bitcoin today is what, 8,000, you don't want to wait till Bitcoin's 20,000 or 30,000 or even 11,000 to be aggregating these 10 BTC. And yes, if you can get more, you know, 20 BTC, 30 BTC, get that as well, because there's actually this phenomenon of called a multi, a multi IEO. It's meaning you're running a IEO on multiple exchanges during the exact same window of time. So you're selling like 5% at, at let's say, Qcoin, 5% at, let's say, uh, Huobi, Huobi Global, so on and so forth. And, you know, each of those have their own cost metrics. Each of them would cost you, you know, anywhere between that 10 and 25 BTC. And then the rule of thumb as of today is that exchanges and, let's say, correlating to listing fees, what we're seeing is on average... Uh, the amount that you're raising relative to the listing fee correlates at about a 10 to 25x, depending on the exchange. So if you were given, if if someone, if the listing fee was say 10 BTC, you can look to raise anywhere between 100 and 250 BTC for an IEO on average. Also, IEOs themselves, the IEO exchanges take a portion of your raise anywhere between sometimes as low as 5% to as high as 15%, depending on what that upfront cost was. Uh, so let's summarize the fees. 10 to 15 BTC for a general listing fee. Back-end cost, like basically percentage share, profit sharing uh, between uh, 5 and 15%. Then you also have the ancillaries. You know, you might pay people on your team, quote-unquote lawyers, advisors, et cetera. Those people might comprise another 5% of your raise and maybe, you know, just say, just throw in there another 5 BTC or 10 BTC, depending on the cost of these additional team members that will do your, that'll help you with your IEO. Uh, deployment. Uh, and finally, one additional cost that comes after the fact is every single IEO typically requires uh, a there's a liquidity component, meaning they don't want to see people just raise money on their on their on their platform without a commitment to liquidity. Typically, some exchanges will have liquidity windows. They'll say, "Hey, for the next four weeks, six weeks, ten weeks, six months, whatever, you must maintain a certain amount of liquidity." on this on our platform that liquidity might be a fixed dollar amount 100,000 300,000 500,000 3 million 5 million for the much for the much bigger exchanges and what that does is it allows that token that is now birthed on the exchange to have a home and to actually be actively trading they don't want dead tokens because remember their name are behind these tokens they don't they they don't want to do an IEO for tokens that aren't supported they want tokens that have a market so they typically even ask you, what is your post listing uh, support team look like? So, you know, are you paired with a market maker or blah, 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 or whatever. Market making is a jurisdiction by jurisdiction issue. In the States, I know it's complicated, but in other countries, it's not. So exchanges will openly ask you, what is your market support plan and strategy? We're not talking about manipulation. We're just talking about just they don't want a huge volume volumetric dump of a token and basically leave again, leave the exchange holders holding the bag. That's what they're, that's what they're trying to avoid at all costs. Between the upfront cost, 
and the profit sharing, you know, that's pretty much it. So then I guess, you know, it sounds like it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I like the idea of the multi-ICO or the IEO. That sounds like a pretty cool, cool thing to be able to sort of distribute the maybe the risk or just distribute it all over various different platforms. Has any has any company done a multi-IEO yet? Yeah, there are a couple multi-IEOs right now. Uh, some of them are our clients. Some of them are not. Uh, we can mention probably at this stage Cessia because Cessia is about to do a multi-IEO or has or has already sort of advertising. Some of these people are under NDA. They can actually discuss they're about to do an IEO until the exchange gives them approval. But Cessia is about to do their own IEO and it's going to be on multiple exchanges. And W12, that's not a client of ours. They're doing a multi-IEO. We have many clients that, that are also gearing up for multi-IEOs uh, from various exchanges, you know, raising various amounts of money depending on what the uh what the what the hard cap of or the or the or the goals of the clients are and i think the multi-ieo thing is probably going to be uh the 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 way that that issuers or basically people who are issuing out tokens are de-risking for one platform going down or another platform going down because a lot of these a lot of these ieos kind of require you to you know uh, participate using that that exchange's token. So if it was Binance, it'd be BNB token, right? If it's Huobi, it'd be that Huobi token, ZBG, ZT token, so on and so forth. So a lot of these issuers are sometimes afraid that there's a there's not enough liquidity in those tokens, so they're de-risking by doing multi IEOs and you know spreading the wealth across five or six exchanges uh, versus just on one big one. Well, Leo, maybe tell us a little bit about Empire and how you guys are helping those that want to do IEOs. Yeah. So at Empire, obviously, we're we're multi we're multifaceted, multi jurisdiction law firm, global advisory. We have offices in maybe at this stage, I think forty two countries, with advisors all over in more countries than even that. So when clients, if clients have an interest in doing an IEO or they have questions about IEOs. We first, we recommend they visit our site uh, at barglobal.partners. You know, reach out to us and let us know uh, what what questions they might have because not everybody qualifies to do an IEO. So it's a better it's a better of just better to ask questions and be told at front. You know, hey, fix these things before you even approach anybody. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. And if they're ready to go, we'd be happy to uh, introduce them to some of our <clears throat> some of our wild and wacky partners, including the team over at Changely and a few others. Uh, to help get their uh, token listed and get the get the process started. Boom, just like that. And the website is empireglobal.partners. Uh, Lionel, Leo, of course. I don't know why I want to call you by your name because your friends call you Leo and, and, and we're friends, even though I made some lawyer jokes. I don't know. You did make some pretty raw we're jokes to him. I don't know if he not, wants to call you. We're, we're not friends anymore. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> We're not friends anymore. That's right. (laughs) Hey, thanks, Leo. We appreciate you. And thanks for the info, Lionel. Appreciate it. And thank you, Mr. Travis Wright, for making an appearance, even though I'm all by myself here right now. It's so lonely. Can't imagine doing this show without Travis. He could probably imagine doing it without me, though. Anyway, thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys so very much. The crypto markets appear to be slowly coming back. And so are our listeners. (laughs) You know, I really want to applaud those of you who are the diehards because listenership to crypto shows really tracks 
with the price of Bitcoin during the last bull run, it was absolutely insane. Our listens and downloads were off the charts. And then, of course, the people that think, oh, no, I've lost my money in Bitcoin. You know, those are the ones that don't want to hear about crypto anymore. But those of you who understand that this is about a complete revolution in the way that we do payments and contracts and so much more because of blockchain. And you guys have stuck with us even during the uh, the bear market. And we're starting to see signs of the bull. Hopefully, it'll happen sooner than later. And we'll find ourselves at an all-time high. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And so please do turn a friend on to the show. You know how to do it. Just say, hey, give me your phone and then subscribe them to the show and say, trust me, listen to this. You need to know what's going to be happening in the future because the future is coming today. And I don't want you to be left out. These guys will show you how to do it at the Bad Crypto Podcast. And then you could tell them once they have listened to the show that they are a member of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Mm-hmm. They don't get any benefits from it other than the pride in knowing that they are part of something bigger than themselves. And best of all, they will know that they are now fully deputized and able to stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.